This is Nathaniel Cogley. And this is Eric Morrow. Welcome to this week's edition of Cogley and Morrow on Politics. Uh, we want to welcome you back and uh, also encourage you to listen to previous episodes. Last week we had the, the pleasure of having our 16th president of Tarleton State, uh, Dr. James Hurley, with us for an excellent interview that uh, was not necessarily focused on Tarleton as much as it was on his background in economics and fiscal policy and then also looking at higher education and the direction of some of that mix of all of that uh, in Texas in the years ahead. Uh, This week uh, we have with us in the studio another special guest. Uh, We're moving here on the local level as part of our commitment on the show to cover state and local politics. We we do say we cover local, right? Uh, Yes, we do. Yes, yes, yes. And so we have uh, with us today Mayor Doug Savine, who is the current mayor of the city of Stephenville, a uh, place where we, we all reside now. I, I was a former resident of Brownwood and commuted over here for 11 years. Took you a while to figure that out. Uh, huh? That's right, of where I needed to be. Well, part of the, the mix in this was that my wife grew up here and graduated from Stephenville High School, and when she left to go to the University of Texas, she said, well, I, I, I'm not going back to Stephenville. And so uh, it took a little while to convince her, and now it's my fault that we're back in Stephenville. Oh. But but we bought a house. We're, we're enjoying it. Uh, we're, we're glad to be here. It's it, it's a great community. I've been involved with it for well over a decade, and and uh, we're glad to welcome you though today Thank because uh, it's a great opportunity for us here to uh, look at local government and to talk about some of the things that, as we see when we teach this here in the classroom that our students really struggle with. I mean, just the lack of knowledge and engagement of what is going on in the areas that impact them the most. I always start my course out every semester in state and local government talking about and asking the questions, you know, did you brush your teeth this morning? Did you get out on a road? Did you stop at a stop sign? Uh, did you get a ticket on the way to school? You know, this, just questions. But to get them to think about some of the services and things that we take for granted every day that are provided by local government, uh, but then also to, to really move that to another level and that is uh, h- how you engage and, and uh, what opportunities we have to be not only be aware, but to have an impact on what's happening and the decisions that are being made around us. And so um, we welcome, welcome the mayor today uh, and I really want to start out with asking you about your background. What, what led you to, to get into local government and to offer the service that you do in this office? I appreciate the invite today and appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all. And, and advertise Stephenville, Texas, because that's really what my role is as much as anything. Uh, my name is Doug Savine. I come, I was born in Burke Burnett, Texas. My father was in the military. We did move around a lot like many military brats did. I lived in Burke Burnett in San Antonio. Graduated from high school in San Antonio, went to college in Abilene Christian. At the time, I actually graduated Abilene Christian College. Went back and got a master's degree from ACU. But my background is speech therapy, and I've worked with handicapped people all my life, professional life. And so I moved to Stephenville and now work for a company called Rockhouse. I've worked there for almost 29 years and at my role is I'm the chief executive officer of Rockhouse and it's a great organization and so I've been participating in what the benefits of Stephenville, Texas and someone asked me one time why don't you participate in the government of Stephenville, Texas and I talked to my father who was a 32-year military career person and you know, his service to the public was his military career. You know, it was in harm's way about four different times. And I started thinking, well, military is not going to be my background. So what I decided to do instead was serve the public a different way. Because I remember when I ran for city council the first time, my father said, what did you do that for? And I said, well, you know, you did it differently than I did. So this is my service to the community. So that's why, I'm, why I got into local politics and was asked specifically by some people to run. Very good. And uh, you're in your first term as mayor, mayor. as yes, mayor, mayor of the uh, city of Stephenville. And uh, in, in that role, uh, so Texas has different forms of local government that are established by the state constitution. Uh, and, and sometimes people see uh, uh, city government or city officials depicted on uh, drama shows or news on TV. And, and, and of course, a lot of that's centered oftentimes around larger cities. Uh, but uh, gover- that, that role is a little bit different in Stephenville. Uh, especially in uh, how you relate to the city council, a city manager. Could you explain a little bit about how that's structured uh, here sure. in Stephenville, just for, so that our, our listeners and, and our community understand? 
there's really two basic types of government, city government in Texas. One's called a general law city. And a general law city is a city that it may be incorporated. It probably is incorporated, but it doesn't have home rules. What that means is it follows the general law of the state of Texas. So this, if the state doesn't uh, discuss zoning, for example, well, then that city wouldn't have zoning rules. So it just follows the state law. So you could be an attorney, for example, or be an expert in state law, and you'd know exactly how to act in that city as well, whether that's traffic or anything else. Uh, we are what's called a home rule city. In a home rule city, I believe the number is 5,001 person it takes to become a home rule city. And then what you do is you become incorporated. We, literally, Stephenville is a, is a, is a government-incorporated city locations. That's what we do. We operate as a, as a corporation. And then there are several different kinds of organization within that, and we happen to be one of those. But the difference between a small town, I think that there's some some exceptions to that before the law changed. I think DeLeon, I believe, or Gorman or some one of those is a home rule city, but they're not obviously 5,000 people. And it may be that they lost some population, I'm not sure, but most of them are cities our size or home rule all the way up through Dallas, Texas, for example, It'll be a home rule city. Good, and we have the uh, home rule status, but um, they also have this um, dynamic between the mayor, the manager, the council. Could you explain some of those interesting dynamics here in Stephenville? Some cities have what's called a council manager mm-hmm. type of organization, where you might have, you might actually, you would have a mayor who is elected who actually manages the city. Mm-hmm. They would become the administrator of the city. Stephenville is not that. We are what's called a mayor council organization. And a mayor council, what that means is there's different kinds of those, but what that means is we go hire a manager to operate. So he's the CEO, if you will, of that business. His job is to execute all the laws, the rules, and financial obligations. And then the city council then would become the legislative branch. And that's really what we are. We have a city manager. He's a, he does a tremendous job. His name is Alan Barnes. And I've told him before, I, anytime I speak in public or to here to the radio, is I, I give out his name and phone number, and he says, do that. <laughs> but I'd, I'd say just call City Hall and talk to Alan. Because a lot of times folks call me as mayor, or before I was on city council for seven years prior to that, and they'd call and say, Doug, tell me about it. I've got a problem with or I don't like or whatever. Well, in every situation, the first thing I do is I pick up the phone and guess who I call? I call the city manager and say, I've got a complaint or a concern or a need. Tell me about that. And then he executes that. Or he may say, well, Doug, that's not in the budget or that's not in whatever. Do you want that done? And then it'd be my responsibility then to go to the council and make sure the council was in approving that change or funding it. So Alan Barnes is our city manager. So several years ago, I had the opportunity to host uh, Shirley Franklin on campus, who was a former two-term mayor of the city of Atlanta. And and one of the things that she said, I mean, there's a big difference between Atlanta and Stephenville, but then there may not be, because one of the things she said about being mayor is that first and foremost, it was about potholes and sewer lines. And so I wanted to direct that to you in terms of your experience here in Stephenville, uh, that what, uh, what, what do you find yourself doing in, in terms of engaging with the public? Uh, what are some of those, those kinds of issues that, uh, that people are calling your office or they're, say, or they're emailing you and they're saying, uh, hey, Mayor, we need to do something about this? What, 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 do you, what do you see in that and have you experienced in this office? All politics are local. And it starts with things that you see and touch. Probably the biggest complaints you'll see are streets, roads, Mm -hmm. traffic control, etc. And so that's that's probably the biggest complaint. And you probably noticed in Stephenville the last few years, we have done some pretty good, a pretty good job of of working on on the streets inside inside the city city of Stephenville. We haven't done a lot of replacing streets. We have done what we call top coat. And the purpose of that is to extend the length of that street. It's not going to make it fix it like it should be. It's, it's to extend the life of it. Steamwell has approximately 100 miles of city streets that we own. That city streets like Washington, uh, Graham Street, etc., the North Loop, Lingleville Road, those are owned by the, by the state of Texas, not by us. So take those big, long streets out, even the North Loop that goes right around over to the shopping center, back to uh, Washington Street. The state owns those. So you take those big, long streets out, everything else in town the city owns and is responsible to, to uh, maintain. And so when he, someone calls and says, well, I, I lost my dentures because I hit a pothole, well, it, you know, that never had that one quite that dramatic. But that's the kind of thing that happens. So it's the things you see first. 
What really gets you disturbed, though, is when you hear things like, well, I walked into the bathroom and there was gray water in my bathtub. And that's a sewer problem. And those are two issues that probably come up as much as anything as streets and sewer. Mm-hmm. And whether you smell something or you see something coming out on the ground out of a pothole, out of a manhole or something, man cover, well, those are things that people call about the first and say, what's wrong? And we have tremendous staff, uh, as a matter of fact, working in the sewer, particularly the water and sewer department. You know, most people don't see it because they're working at two in the morning and 11 o'clock at night and they're knee deep in potholes or inside of a a hole that they've dug out with poop up to their knees. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm glad you brought up the streets because I have a, maybe a personal interest in this follow-up question. Um, I moved close enough to campus to where I walk to work and we also have uh, three kids. We like to take some family walks and we love being in Stephenville, but we have noticed that sometimes there's a sidewalk and sometimes there's not a sidewalk. And that's, that's unusual for me coming from California and Connecticut before here. Could you um, just inform the listeners and myself What's this whole dynamic of sometimes there's a sidewalk, sometimes there's not? Sidewalks are really important for safety, for recreation, etc. Mm-hmm. The biggest reason why is taxes, the, how much it costs. You know, you add a sidewalk. Nowadays, a sidewalk is typically at least five feet wide. Some of them are eight. And it almost becomes a, a city street cost. Mm-hmm. And prioritizing sidewalks over replacing streets or fixing streets is probably... Uh, the easiest reason why we don't have the sidewalks that you're referring to. We have some of those now. Matter of fact, we have a project going on right now that's a grant from, I believe it's through the Ag Department, a Community Development Block Grant, where we're going to tie in the Bosque River Trail at Washington Street back to downtown. And it'll be, a, I think it's an eight-foot sidewalk that will be bringing the traffic. So if you don't want to walk all the way back around, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to the end of the Bosque River Trail and then get in a car and drive back home, which, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of a halfway, if you will, to, to get back to where your car is parked. That trail is beautiful, by it, the way. It is yeah. beautiful. It is a wonderful thing. And there, and I've actually had several folks in town. There's a, it's not an official committee. And if I said their names, they'd probably get mad at me. But there are some folks in town now that are working on finishing that trail. Mm. You know, what is it going to take? It's going to take land acquisition or at least land access. And it's going to take money to do it. And those individuals are working on that now. And interestingly, because the, the plan would be to go back through the so- – follow the river around mm-hmm. and then go through the soccer fields, et cetera, and then back up to what's now called J.C. Park. And we have a grant application right now that we think will be funded that's going to build some more streets, which are, is for the purpose to call – it's part of the safety program for students walking to and from home from school. And so that we if that happens, then we'll put a sidewalk as well from J.C. Park all the way back down to Tarleton. As someone raising three kids, I just want to let you know those are very much appreciated and families are using these things. It, it is. And and you're right it, that we've had there was a time we put sidewalks in. You can probably see that now. But you can also see where they went for go for 150 feet or 200 feet and then they stop mm-hmm. you jump across the side a, a yard front lot or something and then they start up again well the city we have a plan right now that if you own a house and you want to put a sidewalk in front of your house we'll pay 50 percent of that cost mm. if you're a, if you a private home if it's a business we'll pay for 25 percent of it so we're we do know that is a need we're working towards that it's it's literally a funding thing and let me go back to the streets a minute kind of give an example of why with that amount of streets that we have we did a study a while back and i know that for some people in the city spending money on a quota study when you kind of say well common sense says you ought to do something about it but we actually spent some money and brought a company in that i don't know if you call it x-rays or whatever they drove every square inch of every street in the city of stephenville and they said what is it what does the base material look like all the way to the top so we have a it's like a medical review of all of our streets and like in my case i'm not a street guy i'm not an expert in streets and and i would have thought you'd take the, the worst street first and just fix it <laughs> well but that's why we started top coding some because our experts came in and said well here's a street that might last eight more years and if you put this here it may be 12 years mm-hmm. and it'll get you past and so you, you kind of we came up with a plan a long-range plan for fixing streets but the problem we have right now is we're, the study says we're supposed to be spending about $2.2 million a year to maintain our streets. It's not to replace one of them, it's to maintain them. Mm-hmm. And we've spent about a million to a million to a year. So we're about a million and a half dollars behind. I'm going to put that as a priority from my personal perspective over building a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that brings to a point, too, because I, I – uh, 
drive down Harbin over here every day, and 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 you know, you this, give it a sore neck. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, part of it, you know, part of it's fine, and and so forth. But but I know a lot of that is, uh, you know, we've seen over the last decade a significant growth here at the university, and so you start to bring in thousands more students and that traffic on the roads and and so there uh, in addition to whatever economic benefit there there's also the infrastructure challenges as well and i i, I didn't know in in your in your time in office if in in looking at that you know what what are some of the the benefits and the challenges being in a town like this that that is smaller uh, rural uh, uh texas but then also has a university that uh, continues to grow uh, and and bring in more students, which uh, in my experience here in, in Stephenville has been very positive. Uh, I'm on the uh, uh, the board of the uh, Historic House Museum and and get to visit with people there, and they're just the the connections with Tarleton all throughout the community. You just really see that how how supportive Stephenville is of Tarleton State. So, but these are some of the practical things that come with growth and come with uh, for for the city and for the university. So I didn't know if you had some thoughts on some of those uh, benefits and challenges there. I'm not sure there's a city in Texas that is our size that has as big a university as Tarleton. Uh-huh. If there is, I'd like to know where that is. I want to go visit that mayor and figure out what they're doing differently than us. <laughs> I would say that probably if Tarleton's not the largest economic impact on our city, it's it's number two. It has a great impact on our city, you know, that we don't collect taxes from a government entity. But the secondary effect, just say sales tax, for example, I'd be shocked if, and there's some studies that we I could go back and look at, but I'm going to, just guessing, anecdotally, there's going to be 25% of our sales taxes from students and employees who work at this, this institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at, you say, well, ad valorem tax, you know, I can't tax, you just bought a, an apartment complex down and took it off the tax rolls. Well, yeah, that we lost an ad valorem revenue for that. But the secondary benefit is all the rental properties in Steamville, Texas, that wouldn't be here mm-hmm. if it weren't for the students at, Steamville, at Tarleton State University. So it is a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And Tarleton has always, well, in my tenure, has worked well with us. Uh, the part that's difficult is our planning is sometimes two and three and four years away to do something. And Tarleton's funding comes at legislative sessions. And as the Board of Regents decides to spend some, we're going to build a new football field. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do about Harbin Drive? Well, Harbin Drive will become one of the main entrances into Stephenville, Texas. There's no doubt about it because if you, especially when you go D1, there's going to be thousands, if not tens of thousands of people a month drive down Harbin Drive. City Council understands that. And we, we discussed Harbin Drive Back when D1 was being discussed and the football field was being worked on, the first question was, do we spend several million dollars and let a big diesel truck hauling concrete, et cetera, tear the road up? And the answer was no. And so we just, to some degree, maintained the potholes. And at this point, though, the council is discussing relatively soon redoing uh, Harbin Drive. Mm -hmm. And the current vision, we don't have a final plan. It's, it's It's the engineering firm now looking at the plans or creating plans. It will look very much like Wolf Boulevard does, or Wolf Nursery Road does now. And so have a, have a median in the middle, have turn lanes, et cetera, so that it'll help control traffic. It won't have traffic lights. Uh, traffic light to control, say, Fry Street and Harbin Drive would probably be three-quarters of a million dollars. Mm. And I'd rather put it in concrete or asphalt curbs, et cetera, than I would right now in a traffic light. Right. Well, and if you, uh, I would assume, too, if you move to those multi-lane roads, like that that one's a, a great example. I mean, that's an mm-hmm. excellent road, thoroughfare. I find myself taking that on a regular basis to in in addition to the loops to get around town but uh, uh that, that that would make a tremendous difference uh the the other the other part of that i think and, and like you pointed out the the economic impact of of the students and the uh, uh, and the faculty and staff that work here, um, the the relationship that has been there. I mean, Tarleton and Stephenville have a, a you know well over a century of that that relationship, which I'm sure has been uh, challenging at some point, and then it, uh, and, and uh, uh, very beneficial at others. Um, where where what do you see in terms of that impact uh, and, and the potential that it's bringing to Stephenville? Some of the things that may be on the horizon that you can share that. Uh, are a result not only of the growth of the community, certainly the university has a role in that as well, but uh, th- that's always a thing for a college campus. It's, 
uh, it's about how you how you market yourself, uh, the amenities that come along with uh, going to school there, but also now you know Nathaniel as both residents here. I mean, this is a question that that we asked. We both lived in. He's from San Francisco. I'm I'm originally from Texas, but I lived in Boston and New York City. We we both chose to come here, back here, bring our families and live and work here, uh, and uh, and so those are questions about our community that uh, that we're always asking. But I, I didn't know if you might be able to share some of the things that are on the horizon for the city. Sure. Let me back up just a little bit before give some examples of the future. Part of the issue we have is we need to get, do a better job of planning. And an example, we had a, there was a big celebration reopening campus with some new dormitories, et cetera, about, what was it, four years ago? Well, that was an example of where we didn't have good communication. And so all of a sudden we start hearing about, well, there's going to be these new dormitories. I don't, what was, I don't remember what anniversary it was, but it was this big event. And I remember sitting in the room at the time with the chief engineer, and I said, do we have the sewer capacity to do that? And the answer was, no, we don't. <laughs> and so all of a sudden in the middle of a fiscal year of the city, what happened was we had to go out and borrow $2.3 million to do what we call the Methodist branch. It's a, one of our branches of the sewer system. So from somewhere around Fry Street South back to the sewer plant, we spent money to upgrade the sewer system. I remember talking to the president of the university and said, my fear is, is that the students on the first night or so have a flush party. <laughs> and, you know, when you flush 700 <laughs> toilets at the same time, some, I talked to you about gray water or black water right. in someone's yeah, bathtub, yeah, sure. somewhere up stream as they're flushing is coming down the line then what happens it hits the big bulk here and backs up in someone's home and that's not fair as well so that's a planning thing that we need to do better at right. and people only think of sewers when they're not working absolutely yeah, it's right. that's why it's, that's why i chose to start with with streets because they jar your teeth as you're going down harbin drive yeah. and so it, it is an issue uh but the future of stevenville it, one of the things we faced recently uh, I think it's called uh, well there's an organization in town and they came up and said we have 250 semi-skilled and skilled jobs vacant in Stateville Texas hmm. we're talking about the big manufacturing plants jobs that they recruit from outside the city of Stephenville to come in many of them require college degrees some don't or technical more degrees or backgrounds and what happened is why are we not filling those positions well, it turns out that we're hiring not at very many college students from Tarleton State University. So the question then asked, which leads into what your, your question is, why is that? Well, part of it's because, as Dr. Tavio told me one day, he said, well, Doug, it's a simple answer. What happens is for three to four years on Wednesday and Thursday, they start talking with their buddies, where are we going this weekend to do something? because they don't stay here because of the amenities for the students that keep the students here. So Stephenville started sending people to Fort Hood because I think they're processing over a thousand soldiers out of the military every month. So we were doing job fairs for those industries in town to try to recruit people out of the military, come fill those jobs. That problem will only continue to worsen if we don't figure out how to keep students in Stephenville, highly skilled, multinational, experienced come to this town and say let me help Stephenville be a better place fill a job so to do that we're going to have to create some things that when students are here they say well why go to Fort Worth and spend an extra 150 bucks this weekend drive that far etc why can't I do that here and that's going to require the biggest one is entertainment you know students like to entertain I have two girls they went to high school here uh, both of them went off to college one went to A&M well no matter of fact one went to here and then she went to A&M to get her two other degrees and that's the question is they like to have fun and socialization interaction and so we need some things where that can happen you know i've we've heard some of it's actually through studies some of it's anecdotally bowling alleys theaters you know venues to to have parties etc so those are things we're trying to do shopping is a big one you know my girls that you know all this dad you you haven't experienced it yet you may have you know how much you put on the on the pay card or the debit card or whatever they like shopping and so and the citizens of steamville itself have asked for that and you know, they you've looked at all the things they request the citizens said the number one thing they want is a grocery store mm-hmm. well so we went and started recruiting grocery stores and we thought heb was going to expand and build this new great big facility for certain economic reasons they decided not to and they did their expansion it's a lot better than it was but it still didn't meet the needs of what the citizens said they wanted and so we've gone out and continue to recruit i expect at some point i don't know how many years it'll be someone a kroger or someone will come to stephenville texas and, and build a grocery store however 
we have Aldi's, which is not a typical grocery store, uh, has decided to move to Steamville. They're over back behind okay. Pan Express, where the Holiday Inn used to be. Okay. And that's where they plan to build. They were expecting to build real fast. And then some things slowed down. They had some national things going on where they were upgrading some of the stores and had some others that were to be built before us. And so we keep in touch with them. But they have some unique requirements to come to a town, which is kind of what economic development is all about is how do I get an Aldi's to come here? Because I get sales tax when that happens and I get ad valorem tax when that happens. And citizens get to access something they would have had to drive to Fort Worth. Or I think Granbury also has an Aldi's. And one of the things they said was we don't have – we always set on an intersection where there's a traffic light. Well, guess where they're going is there's no traffic light there. So we've, through the developer and some other things and some assistance through CETA, uh, we have a traffic light now that's going there right by what's now Chicken Express, Panda mm-hmm. Express, Cross the Street, et cetera. That will be a, a controlled intersection. And there's a fine line between looking like Granbury, where when you drive from east to west or west to east, you have 47, I think, traffic lights, something. Not, not that quite a <laughs> minute, but it seems like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It takes you 40 minutes to drive through Granbury because of all the traffic lights. You don't want to become Granbury, but sometimes these bigger <laughs> industries or bigger bigger settings say i've got to have a traffic or a control intersection to come in so there will be one there uh where you you might notice if you drive by there there's some stakes out now where they're actually surveying the area looking for where the ramps will be for handicap once we get sidewalks etc so that's all going in and i expect that that will be there within the next few months well that's uh my background or at least in in looking at some of this when i was in brownwood and, and some of the conversations is that that those intersections and traffic patterns are very key. Like at, at one time, I remember uh, hearing the figure that, uh, uh, like, uh, for an IHOP to look at putting a location in, they had to have like twenty-five thousand vehicles cross that intersection in in a day. Uh, where, in terms of Stephenville and that area, have, have, are we are we in a, 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 a at a level, or have we have we moved up a level where we're getting more attention uh, by uh, these kinds of like chains and other uh... without a doubt as a matter of fact traffic count is everything in the retail business mm-hmm. and so exposure where you are where you sit on the corner is it or you sit back off the off the road or whatever all those things have an impact on whether you sell your product and it is absolutely important and steamville has been at what they call a tertiary market for quite some time so we're right on the I've, i talked to some folks and last week i was in the icsc conference in fort worth and while we were there, there were, I think, 3,500, several thousand people there, of which two-thirds of them are companies. Do I want to come to your town? So they're there. You're trying to sell your community to them. And some of those bigger companies would say, well, you're at a tertiary market. But then I talked to some other folks who say, y'all are the next stop. Steamville is the next place we're coming. So I do believe there will be – well, I know there will be. I know some things that are we're still in our – you know, non-disclosure agreement on some things that are going to happen in Stephenville, Texas, that will show the citizens we're no longer that tertiary market. And what will happen is success in doing that will grow into other successes. So when someone says, because as we're looking at these developments, some store X will say, yeah, I'll come to town. They'll say, but did you know that so-and-so store is going to be there? They're coming. A perfect example is Walgreens. What's always across the street from Walgreens? CVS, CVS right, yes. exactly right. There's a reason. There's a dynamic there, and there's certain stores that say that store always brings somebody that is going to also want to shop in my store. So that what's happened, and as these stores, these developments occur, there'll be other companies that say, "Well, what do they know that I don't know? Am I going to miss out on something?" And so that will it'll be a bigger development occur, and there's some big ones coming before too long. And I think that you'll hear some of those in the next two or three weeks. As of last week, I met had had dinner with one of those developers oh. and he said doug give me two more weeks before you announce so we're under non-disclosure right. for two more weeks but <laughs> please please tell us uh, <laughs> well let me, let me tell you this there will be no, no, there will no. be a large it'll be a large retail business and i think when people see actually see the stores up they start going in to buy they're going to be saying wow i never thought that would come to steamville texas yeah. it's, it's, it's there's some exciting times that's just one development you know we also have development over uh, uh, tarleton crossing which malcolm has and, and he's there's some a lot of interest in that as well and mm-hmm. there's some business they'll be developing there there's a question whether the hotel will be there or not they there's some uh, issues with some sound i'll just be honest with you the issue is the railroad track mm-hmm. you know a and m built a big hotel on campus all back the number one complaint they have is it's right by the railroad mm-hmm. 
and they and I heard from a developer the other day in College Station that they get hundreds of complaints every week on the sound and the sound penetration. So there's a question about the sound at that location. So my and I had lunch with that developer last week as well. He still plans to come to Stephenville. It's just where is it going to be? Right. And so I, again, when I, and that that's the one who'll bring the conference center. Well, there's other hotels talking to us as well. Matter of fact, there's a developer in College Station that will be here sometime. He said just after Valentine's Day, we'll fly up and we're, I met with him. That, well, I, Jeff Sandifer at Cedar and I met with him, and he said I'm interested. And I have been interested in quite some time in building a, a hotel in Steamville, Texas. Oh, so he's right. coming to look as well. Right. So there's there's quite a bit of interest, and yeah, we are that tertiary market for so long, but right now, if you look mm-hmm. at the market between the the traffic between 281 and the west side of Stephenville. The big area is you start Harbin Drive and you go out to the Ford dealership and that area is a tremendous. The biggest area is right there at Walgreens and CVS. That's where the big traffic count is. Mm-hmm. So guess where everybody wants to be? Right. You know, if I can spend another 50 cents or a dollar square foot and be mm-hmm. there rather than someplace else. So that's what's, that's what's going on now. There's, there is a lot of interest in its traffic count. If I could just follow up on that. Instead of someplace else, and I automatically think of the old town square. I mean, it's just a beautiful place and it's historic rather than the, the more busy um, other side of town where the chains are at. Is there anything being done to kind of keep businesses in the, near the old town square and revitalize that historic area? You know, a, a good friend of mine from college was the mayor in Granbury for quite some time. And I asked him once, I said, what if, if you were going to come to Stephenville and got to do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? He said, you have the most beautiful downtown of any city I've been. It's a beautiful downtown. It's different than Granbury, the size of how far the setbacks are from the uh, from the courthouse, et cetera. But it's a beautiful downtown. And you mentioned earlier the title companies, et cetera, what's down there. And there is a downtown business district. Stephenville has generated, uh, the city council uh, sectioned off certain parts of Stephenville that relieve some of the requirements that maybe a Walmart would have for parking, where they don't have to have all off-street parking, et cetera. So we've done some of that, and you've noticed there have been some business developed downtown. And there is, we've also, the city has now applied for, received some funding. We're about to hire a downtown business district manager. So the purpose is to go downtown to those businesses and say, what can I do to bring it back, you know, to bring back the life to downtown other than eight to five. I went to a conference in McAllen, Texas, about two years ago. And that was the one part of the, I spent my entire time at full day at that part of the conference. What do you do about downtown? And it's some simple things. This one lady that we've now joined her organization is how do you revitalize downtown? And sometimes it's just as simple as having events down there. Well, we have some organizations that bring events downtown to Stephenville. As an example, just trick or treat. Right. Yes, we we came to that. That was there's was all very kind, enjoyable. So I think more and more happening. We've actually talked at some point about maybe doing some of the concert series during the summer downtown. But there's got to be a venue to do it. There's got to be a location, etc. And then you have traffic control and so on. But there's a lot to do downtown if we just organize it. And so we're hiring. We will hire a manager for the downtown mm-hmm. development. Right. One of the things that we stress heavily here uh, in our uh, government courses is civic engagement. It's it's challenging students uh, to be thinking about uh, not only the the opportunity they have here in on, on campus, but in their communities back home. But thinking ahead, I mean, these are uh, students that will be uh, raising families and living in communities, whether it's here or elsewhere. And there's always going to be issues, decisions being made by local government that's that's going to have an impact on them. And so we try to give them a little bit of guidance and some of the tools that we can say, well, you're not just passing a core curriculum course that the state of Texas requires you to take. We're really focusing on uh, information and skills that are going to help you in the future. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of people in our community that that uh, uh, may not even think about it or, or just may ask the question, uh, "How do I get more involved? How can I be more engaged?" And so, in, in your work as mayor and uh, in your involvement, your long involvement here in this community, uh, what are the things that you recommend? How do you how do you speak to this issue of saying how can you be more engaged in what's going on? Uh, at City Hall or, or at the county or even even the state level. I mean, like you said, uh, politics being local, but it's really these issues that are decided by our city council that, that uh, city government puts in place that has that they have a lot of impact on our lives. So in terms of civic engagement, what, what, what are the things that you like to focus on? 
last year during the Charlton Day at the, at the Capitol building, I spoke to the students that were there. And one of the things I told them is everyone that you see in this big building down here or even in Washington puts their pants on one, one foot at a time. They're no different than you are. The difference is to be able to make a change at a state level is difficult. You go to Washington, it even becomes sometimes almost impossible, especially if you don't have some big pack lobby team that goes up there and works on it if you want to make change in how things happen that affect your life directly city and local government county government be another example but i'm talking particularly city here that's how you do that you can make changes here because if i drive down i-35 and there's something wrong with the highway or how the traffic is controlled or whatever who do i call some 800 number someplace and they may or may not even listen to it and then do i get any satisfaction from it but if you pick up the phone you call alan barnes who's the city manager you call doug sphane the city mayor or you call one of the city council members i guarantee you one of us will respond something will happen about that so if you really want to get engaged in making change in people's lives city government is where that starts so the best way to do it is start coming to council meetings go to the website find out who your councilmen or councilwomen are and then get to know who they are get their phone number call them and talk to them i can tell you i get my i post my cell phone and someone said doug that was a mistake give them your house phone and let go to the voicemail i answer every phone call and it's important because what i find is you know you can get a sometimes we'll have someone a call that is just as mad as a wet hen about 10 different things well i can't fix 10 things at one time i say what's the most important first and we start working on the most important first and what most people are not they're not upset about all 10 things they're upset about not being listened to not getting something done so you start working on things getting done and all of a sudden those folks they become a whole lot more satisfied but at the local level you can do that one of the first places to do it is learn who your council people are learn their phone numbers learn their email addresses and call them and talk to them directly all nine council members including me all of us will respond we have a tremendous city council right now you say there's a problem the answer may be there's nothing we can do but the answer is probably somewhere between we'll give you what you want or what you need and what the status is today. So to do that, get a hold of those council people, those, those legislators, if you will. The second thing is come to council meetings. I remember going to a council meeting once where we were going to raise the rates on water and sewer. Everybody, I've been on council for years and several years, and the answer was you can't do that. There's a little lady down the street who can't afford it etc it a, it's a political challenge to raise water and sewer because everybody pays them even if you're a renter you pay them because if i go up on rates your tenant's going to go up on the rates as well or if you pay them yourself but what happens i walked in the room and the, the mayor at the time was kenny weldon i want you to know i think kenny weldon was one of the greatest things that ever happened in steamville texas and he's government. with us here at tarleton yes he is I, I sat with him at the basketball game last night he was a tremendous mayor i after every council meeting, I would call him and say, what in the world did you just say? Explain that to me again. <laughs> because he, he is very, very smart. Right. And his job in the military was acting as a mayor for government, for mm-hmm. this uh, military. But what would happen is we walked in the room, and there, the room was packed. I mean, it was packed. And I said, Kenny, can I just run this meeting? And I sat down, and I, I just showed pictures, and I said, here's the condition of our water and sewer system, particular sewers at the time. We talked about miles. We talked about numbers of holes. We talked about ratings that we get every time we have a spillage on top of the road we have to turn ourselves into the state of texas and then it creates another financial burden to us so we just went through and discussed all of that with account with all the staff there and i said you know i'm open for any suggestions here's the only thing i know to do and we raised it as a pretty good chunk of raise in rates but it was to be split out over four years but it was just saying for the next four years you're going to get this much rate increase every year in your water and sewer bill and here is why I'm open for suggestions, and not a person in the room had a suggestion. What they said was, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't realize that was the case. And so thank you for telling us. So coming to council meetings, you have an opportunity to, because when you walk in there, you say, oh, my gosh, there's 45 people in this room tonight. And even more than that, you can go online. We stream live all the city council meetings. And I can tell you there are times you'll see me up there, and I'm doing this on my phone, is because someone is texting me as I'm talking <laughs> about something i said or someone down the, down that road said mm-hmm. from me or, or wait a minute what about this and so getting engaged with the city council is really important and i can tell you also that alan barnes and all of his department heads i'm gonna tell you all the staff but specifically the department heads are incredibly sensitive to the city's needs the people's needs again there's things they can't do because it takes governance from us to tell them they can and usually that means funding it 
or a change in direction, but they all answer. I'll tell you, Nick Williams is, is responsible for our streets, our water, and our sewer. One of the biggest challenges you could face in the city of State is also the landfill. You call Nick Williams and say, I don't care if you are 90 years old and you're a fixed Social Security income or whether you're the person that owns the biggest business in town. I have a problem. If he can fix it, it'll be fixed immediately. I can't tell you how many times I call him. From Someone will call me and say, I'll call him. He'll say, Doug, thank you for telling me about that. And it's done mm-hmm. immediately. So getting engaged, talk to the staff of the city. You can get on the city website and it shows the organization on our website. We don't have a very good website. We're working on that, but it may take you some seeking. You can can text me and I'll send you the link to where to go. But we'll tell you who the staff are, who the department heads are, how to contact them. Alan Barnes will respond every time. I can tell you that because if for no other reason than he knows if it comes to me after it's gone to him, I'll ask him, why haven't you called? But he'll he'll call. I've never had that happen. Everybody will respond. Talk to your governor, governance body, which is your, your, your legislature, which is city council, and with the staff who actually run it. Unlike a lot of the big state agencies, we will respond. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I've been living in the town for four years. Uh, my wife and kids are here, and we've learned to love this place. It has the small town benefits in terms of, you know, we got baseball, we got parks, we got these trails, and it's safe, and it's got good schools, but it also has a lot of activity and cultural diversity and things that Tarleton itself brings. And we just have learned to love this place. And um, so we just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing to help continue to make Stephenville such an attractive place for people to live and especially raise families like we're doing. And I know we're honored to have you on the show. Yes, thank you. And uh, this is also educational, like what we're trying to do with our show is that let's get people inform more informed about how they can be engaged uh one of the challenges that we see today is just information being able to sure. to call someone or, or or to read about to be be in touch with the information sources so that they know what's going on and uh and we're going to continue to to do that and and we know you'll be out there doing it as mayor in your role as you've as you've been doing it but we certainly want to thank you today uh, for being with us i appreciate it very much Thank you. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for more Cogley and Morrow on politics. Politics can be confusing, but Cogley and Morrow have your back. Follow them on Facebook. Search Cogley and Morrow on politics to stay up to date with the show and for all of the sources to follow right along. Cogley and Morrow is a production of the Tarleton Radio Network. Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on politics. Well, we we have a little part of the show here left to kind of catch up with some national news related to the impeachment process. Uh, not spending a lot of time here on on where we are, but that that uh, this has moved over to the Senate, and we can get back to more of the details as things progress in the week ahead. And also, we had a another debate of uh, uh, Democratic candidates for president. We need to give that some attention uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, but I, I wanted to turn to to finish up the show today. Uh, I had a little bit of a hypothesis here after the uh, story came out in the news about the uh, Government Accountability Office. Uh, finding that the Impoundment Act had been violated uh, by the delay of the aid uh, to Ukraine that really kind of goes back and looks at some of the uh, uh, early issues that were developing around the impeachment process. And the reason I go back to that is uh, uh, once that came out, I mean, this this brought back attention to a couple of uh, op-eds that uh, my co-host, Dr. Cogley, had put out there. And I began to look at the timeline a little bit because the news stories were going back to Senator Chris Van Holland of Maryland and saying that back in December, he was the one that uh, asked the GAO to begin this investigation. And and that was about mid-December, a little little bit after that. Uh, Well, your first uh, op-ed on this came out in November. Uh, Now, we do need to go back a little bit and say that the House Budget Committee did put out uh, a little fact sheet on the Impoundment Act uh, back in October and kind of tied that to uh, the the uh, Trump administration, but it but it was not that that didn't receive much attention and and uh, so I have a little bit of a hypothesis here. Did uh, did our own Dr. Cogley here 
uh, turn the wheels a little bit by uh, addressing the Impoundment Act, because now, as I found out as we came into the studio today, uh, he has a third article that will be published in the Washington Examiner uh, as an op-ed uh, on this same issue. In fact, the third one was uh, published on Friday. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've had a nice series here. The first one was in November, as you mentioned, as I started looking into this. I mean, they're saying, uh, could the president defer these funds? And I started looking in the act that actually uh, uh, regulates those from 1974 and, and learned a lot about there's there's difference between temporarily deferring and rescinding and all that. So the first one covered that. And then when the House Intelligence Committee released its report, it was citing the Impoundment Control Act, and it was all buried on page like 152. And I just saw that I felt they were using it improperly. And so I wrote the second op-ed. And then on Thursday, you know, I didn't think I'd have a very busy day. And then, um, all of a sudden, Impoundment Control Act was a national headline news, mm-hmm. and the Government Accountability Office had released its findings on the day that the Senate trial of the impeachment began, um, suggesting that the president had violated the Impoundment Control Act and in a constitutional crisis type sense. And I also felt, as I read the Government Accountability Office decision, which is really an opinion, um, that there were some things maybe not consistent in their logic. And so I wrote a third op-ed, which the Washington Examiner published the next morning. So I've had kind of a, a nice nice run on these three things. Um, I never knew in my career I'd be a Impoundment Control Act specialist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know on, on my hypothesis, I mean, it's hard to uh, prove because we would have to interview uh, Senator Van Hollen or maybe members of his staff as to where they had the initiative to kind of move forward with this. But I, I think really the serious question is in all of this is what what is the what is the impact on where we are? I know your original uh, argument was that uh, this addressed uh, the issue in the Trump administration withholding the aid, uh, much more so than, say, an impeachment process. Uh, but uh, my, I guess my question is, where do you see what, what's the impact of this now with the GAO coming out with this? Uh, again, we look back and the funds were released eventually. Yeah. Uh, so that that makes that kind of a moot point other than, oh, slap your hand, say, don't do that again. Uh, but in terms of the mix, as you're seeing it with uh, the, the move of the trial to the Senate, uh, does this have an impact at this point? Well, a lot of our listeners will be aware that we have a divided Congress and Democrats versus Republicans, and they really have a different impression on the president's motives and what the president's up to. What's interesting is a lot of this partisanship spills over into how people interpret the laws that are related to the question at hand. And so the Democratic Party and Republican Party seem to have different interpretations of this law and whether or not the the law actually validates the president's actions or the president is in violation of the actions. What's really interesting in the latest one in the Government Accountability Office report is that now we see this kind of different interpretation spilling over into a dispute between the Government Accountability Office and the Office for Management and Budget, which also says the president was authorized to do what he did. And now the Government Accountability Office is um, saying that the president wasn't. One thing interesting, my earlier two op-eds had really highlighted that the Impoundment Control Act gives a special role for the controller general to help resolve this dispute. The Impoundment Control Act is set up to resolve this dispute. When there's a dispute over temporary deferring within the fiscal year, the controller general himself can issue a report to be interpreted as a special message, allowing Congress to do an impoundment resolution, disproving of the president. Um, The controller general also in section 687 is a real strong section, which says if the president needs to obligate and he's not obligating, it's the controller general that needs to bring a civil case in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. So it really spells out if we get a situation where a president needs to obligate and he's not, this is a civil case in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. brought by the Comptroller General. None of that happened. You know, it went straight to impeachment of the president. And so some of my earlier stuff was really highlighting that these alternatives take place. And the much more proper way to handle this dispute over the funds is through a civil case in U.S. District Court if it gets that far. And you know the funds were released, so we never even got that far, in my opinion. And the Government Accountability Office report was very interesting in that it played up 
this temporary deferral as a big constitutional crisis when, in fact, the Impoundment Control Act says it's not, says there's, there's already procedures in place. And it also exonerated the director of the Government Accountability Office, who is the Controller General, from any responsibility and didn't even mention right. the, yeah. the civil case option. So I kind of wrote another op-ed to remind people that actually this is coming out of the office of someone who's involved in this, who actually whose title appears in the Impoundment Control Act of 1974. And so I think it's definitely circulating because it's in the Washington Examiner in D.C. Some people are reading it. I don't know who's reading it and who's it's influencing. But today the D.C. Examiner actually tweeted them out again. So Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get a lot of uh, readers and followers. My Twitter Twitter account is not very big. So if anyone wants to follow on Twitter, I'm still (laughs) building it. But this current op-ed is helping get that out. Well, so what we're seeing is that with this coming out and and looking and watching it and reading about it in the uh, the sources that I've looked at is it's feeding really feeding into the politics of the moment. Yeah. It's being taken by either side. Uh, one, I think it goes back to one thing that we talked about in looking at the uh, impeachment process was early on, uh, should Trump had just owned up to this and said, well, yes, but then to explain it and saying, I was concerned about corruption in Ukraine. I didn't want uh, American taxpayer dollars going to uh, a government and to the, the possibilities of uh, uh, being used for uh, corrupt purposes. And, and then uh, then would have said, okay, well, fine, we violated the law, slap on the hand. I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't been in government that long. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm looking out for the best interests of the people. Uh, that, that was a, a uh, uh, recommendation that was floating around by some at that time to say, hey, th- this could derail the impeachment process in terms of public opinion and support. Now we're kind of on the other end of this. And so something like this comes out and and, and it's being used uh, for really political purposes, because as you're saying, the, the understanding of the law itself and the application of the law uh, is not really being followed by on, on either side. I mean, in the in the sense that it uh, then it, the, either the lack of awareness of it or uh, Congress or the 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 comptroller initiating uh, an investigation to look at this to address it. Now we're post that it's been paid. Uh, Democrats using it in a way to say, uh, well, look, here's this makes this case even more so makes it worse or adds fuel to the fire for impeachment. Yeah, one thing is that um, presidents have deferred funds for many reasons over many times. And when I first issued the first one, I got some response from people. Oh, President Trump can't possibly know about this. Um, And then I looked into that and he's actually the first president since Bill Clinton to actually propose a rescission bill in uh, after his after his first election, a pretty massive one that almost got through the Senate and didn't. So um, a lot of this actually comes down to the request for an investigation into Burisma and the Bidens. And was it for personal interest as the Democrats say, or was there a national interest concern? One point I make about is those aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, uh, the president is concerned about something improper and investigates it. If it happens to have a personal benefit, that may be coincidental. Well, thank you. And we're going to keep following this. Thank you for joining us today. We'll pick up more on impeachment, uh, Democratic race for the presidency next week on Cogley and Morrow on politics. has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.